Welcome to the Understanding Project Management Discussions podcast. This is Dave Barrett. My guest today is Shayla Arana. Shayla is a consultant for the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario and is herself an RN. She is also a PMP and teaches project management. Given Shayla's background, our discussion is related to COVID-19 and the application of project management and risk management principles. Please welcome Shayla Arana. is is has a, a sort of a unique background for in in the project management field one of the things that we talked about was you know the the covid and you know our response to it and specifically from a risk management point of view but from a project management point point of view in general and you know many of us are sort of what i'll refer to as sort of armchair quarterbacks we read the news we say oh we should be doing this or we should be doing that but shayla comes from a a nursing background she's an rn but she's also a pmp and knows a great deal about project management management so she's got kind of a combination of the two so we thought it would be a really interesting discussion to to sort of apply project management principles to the COVID response, the pandemic, and anything else that, that comes up. So, so with that, I'm just going to throw it over to you, Shayla, and just sort of say, okay, so for, with COVID, it's a big topic, but how do you view it? What, what is your thoughts around project management and risk management when it comes to the, the, you know, the, 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 the virus, the COVID, the response, and so on? Thank you. Thanks, Dave. I'm uh, really glad to be here and share some of my experiences and my knowledge and skills in this area. Not only the clinical parts of uh, healthcare, my background, uh, but also my work as a project manager in healthcare uh, or in, on uh, different project teams. So I'm hoping I can uh, share some information here with you and uh, enrich uh, for our students as well. So uh, regarding um, COVID-19 and uh, uh, my role with project management, I think what I bring to it is my past experiences and help to um, work through it uh, collaboratively with other members of our healthcare team, as well as non-healthcare professionals and workers. Right, right. So, how do you view how, how do you view the the response that we've we've done so far? From a, let, let's let's talk about risk management. Uh, do you feel we've done a, a good job overall? You know, even you know, uh, saying saying Ontario or Canada in terms of our response to to the threats. Yes. Yeah, so it's uh, tough to say. This is um, COVID nineteen the pandemic was not something we had knew, uh, you know, that it was coming uh, in this uh, intensity that it did arrive. I can just take you back to some of the days when I worked with something similar to SARS, uh, which was in around 2023 or such. And I bring that experience as well. So in risk management, how we talk about Let's look at the lessons learned from past, um, you know, community outbreaks or pandemic-like situations and uh, bring it to our current um, uh, situation where we can 
help to inform the project management planning for this COVID pandemic. So if you're looking at, um, you know, evaluating how did we do then and how are we doing now, I can say that um, there were some lessons learned that came out from uh, SARS. And, so, you know, we paid clo close attention to it. Uh, for example, the PPE, which is the personal protective equipment. Some of the recommendations that came out of SARS was to have a, a supply of PPE for each healthcare organization. So that continued on. People did have uh, that supply. However, along the way, it fell short. Right, right. So that's where we look at, you know, these little things have um, interfered with the way that uh, uh, we handled uh, COVID-19, the pandemic, when it right. came along. Right. Do you think that, you know, in terms of risk identification, the probability and impact assessment and and um, do you think that we had it right in terms of probability? Like, you know, others, there, there's been, there's been some, many that have been warning about the, about pandemics. Bill Gates is the, the, the classic, you know, one that, that people think about in terms of talking about in the last five years or, or more, but do you think we had enough visibility of that? It was, that it was probable that, that it was a matter of time or, or were we caught a little bit short? Was this an example of us? you know, kind of kind of maybe assuming the probability was too low? To be fair, I think, Dave, uh, you know, as a layperson, we would not necessarily uh, know the uh, how magnified this could have been. Uh, now we're looking at, yes, we had the first wave and then the second wave and the third wave. However, as uh, nurses and as healthcare professionals, uh, you know, not only as project managers, we've seen what's coming along and we've put our ear to the ground, basically. So even though this was happening in January, February in other countries, and it hit us mostly in March of 2020, uh, you know, that we um, did uh, see the red flags and we started mobilizing. So I think that, uh, you know, the, we did take those actions when we had the, knew it was coming to us, right? Yeah. So yeah. we did respond, I would say. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, nothing in this discussion, I think, is interpreted as, as being critical of the people doing the work, of, of course, is, is just monumental in terms of the healthcare workers and so on. Um, what do you think in terms of, of risk response, though, like in terms of, um, you know, we, I mean, we're, we're talking about the event itself, like the, the appearance of, of the virus. But now once once that was known, then all kinds of other risks started to pop up, of course, like as soon as as soon as we were aware that there was this thing, then there was the risks of, you know, the infection of the population, the um, you know, the number of people that would get it before a vaccine was developed and, and, you know, the rate of spread and so on. So did you see like of the, of the risk mitigation strategies, how do you think we did on that? Like, I mean, I don't think we could use avoid, there wasn't a way to avoid the spread necessarily. Like, 
I, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think there's any avoidance strategies, but what else of the others, the, the, the transfer, accept, uh, you know, mitigate and so on. How did you see those playing in? Yeah. So I, I would, um, you know, go back to that, uh, often I think of this serenity prayer. So what that in, includes is God grant me the serenity to accept the things I ca cannot change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Right. So if we go forward with that, it's there's a lot of things that could have changed. And for that, then our role comes in to um, advocate for that, to decision makers, and um, to convince and through the evidence. So we, um, as part of my role uh, during this pandemic, I was able to work with uh, uh, gathering evidence to support the people at the front line, as well as being that liaison to inform up on to the government level uh, where changes need to happen or advocating for changes to reduce the impact. So this is the mitigation to reduce the impact of the um, COVID-19 on the population whether it be in healthcare uh, institutions or in the social health and other congregate settings or in the community, uh, we strongly advocated for the people. But also when we look at different um, businesses, different healthcare organizations, health sector and non-health sector had very different uh, ways of operating. And so, it took time for people to slow down in what they were doing and recognize that this was a huge problem here. So that's where to avoid the risk, uh, you know, we needed to uh, count on other people as a group as well. Uh, then to accept the risk, we needed to work together. And I think that's where I look at there were, you know, we look at risk management usually as threats, but there were significant number of opportunities that came along as well. Oh, yeah. Okay. So we talked about that a little bit before we started. So yeah, what were, what did you view as some of the opportunities? Because that's not something that we, we talk about a whole lot. We, we, when we talk about COVID, we usually are thinking of the, the number of cases and the you know, the, the ICU count, and then of course the death count and so on, the, the number of deaths. So what, what, what are the, the opportunities that you see coming out of it? Yes, yeah, so I think, um, you know, our healthcare system, we used to work very much in silos, the acute care, the long-term care, the community care, uh, just as much we're all part of that healthcare system, the family health teams, et cetera. Uh, we used to work significantly in silos. And we were coming to put together something called the, the Ontario Health, which is an organization that came into being. And it was in the process of uh, uh, you know, realizing that organization. And the main uh, mission of that is to collaborate and be more efficient uh, across all levels to serve the people. So this took place in a quicker form. Uh, the best response here was, again, not necessarily, I couldn't necessarily say 
transferring the risk, but it was like a, a you know, collaborative work between the hospital, the long-term care sector, retirement home sector, the community sector, the social health, like the congregate settings, the people looking at uh, taking care of the homeless, the disabled and the developmentally delayed who live in places like group homes, et cetera, and coming together to ensure that they're able to manage or troubleshoot with them, uh, problem solve the risks that they are having or try and prevent it uh, or divert those risks uh, only by working together. Right. So in a crisis like this, like you said, an opportunity was that, you know, areas that were siloed before that didn't feel the need to talk to each other, to collaborate as much. We're now through, you know, a common cause brought together and hopefully it stays. Like hopefully there, hopefully there are long-term, you know, relationships that are, that are developed that those communication lines stay open, you know, for yeah. ongoing, uh, you know, there's, there's gotta be goodness. And once we get back to steady state, that those those would continue to be good things to do. So that's a, that's yeah. A really I think idea. that's the structure that was uh, you know we were trying to um, move forward with that structure, but again we didn't have all players on the uh, same page, right? And I think COVID did that for us, and we yeah. have seen I think in our area, which is the Waterloo Wellington, I sit on uh, multiple uh, committees as well. And uh, I, I could see, you know, we do very well with the Waterloo, Wellington, the Ontario West area uh, together and working collaboratively. Uh, pretty much the main agenda is the infection prevention and control at this point. But I'm hoping with the relationships built that we would continue to help serve people because, uh, you know, patients, residents, people go through multiple health sectors in their lifetime. Right. Um, yeah, the, the um, it's, often, it's often very useful to have, you know, in, in this case, a common enemy that, which is the virus, the, the COVID is, a, in, in normal times, there is sort of the, you know, organizations tend to silo, they kind of go back into their own areas and, and, and other politics come, come to, you know, rise up. When, when you have a crisis like this, you're, you're all working towards the same end, which is, which is good. I heard an example on another, I was listening to a, to a podcast uh, in the last couple of days. And, and one of the, the examples of that that comes to mind was just, in, and this is on a broader scale perhaps, but just the, the development of the mRNA um, vaccine approach, like, or the, I don't know if it was the development, I think it was in development and, and known before this, but the actual utilization of it will have other, other benefits and for other diseases down the road that this prompted it that it this accelerated the development of it so i think that's a another case where like you like you said or, or i think what what, what we, you mentioned was that we often focus on the threats but there's there's also opportunities that come out of it absolutely yeah now having said that you know there were quite a few threats that came along but like i say um dave uh you know our healthcare system uh it's not only the risk that came with COVID. Our healthcare system, you know, 
given the good things it has, there have been several issues as well. So for example, the long wait lists for you know, surgeries, the um, uh, lack of beds, the services, the staffing. Uh, so all these things were already ha happening that were not being, uh, you know, not catching the attention of the government. Several uh, government, um, uh, you know, there was several rotation of different government uh, governments, but uh, each one kind of passed it on to the other. So uh, similar to that, we've got to uh, pay attention to some of the risk uh, factors uh, that, you know, the risk categories, uh, political, which sometimes we cannot influence that, but they do influence how we operate. And uh, so those were some of the issues uh, that surfaced. And with um, uh, COVID, we just, it just uncovered it all the more. The second, like I like to use the acronym uh, PESTEL. So the uh, things that we cannot uh, change or things that we can uh, advocate for uh, to the best that, uh, uh, possible way we can. So PESTEL would be the political that I just talked about different ways um, of, uh, you know, seeing how um, political involvement uh, could help uh, us resolve some of the challenges with COVID-19. The second thing was the economic factors as well. There were, you know, there was no, um, in some areas, uh, there are resources and in some areas, there's none. So again, different communities as well, the indigenous population, uh, the rural uh, areas uh, lack some economic uh, benefits. So it's not distributed equally. So these things surfaced again. Uh, the third thing was the social factors as well and uh, uh, technological factors too, uh, where you know, some the private areas did have a lot of technology to their advantage, while some other organizations didn't. But this came together during COVID and became more transparent, but there was quick several projects within a single project uh, of putting these new things in place. Right. How did you how did you find or what was your impression of the um, of the effectiveness of the communication as it is that this was a massive communication um, effort to you know if you if you go back to you know um, February 2020 you know most of us were just hearing about it it was this it was this threat that was you know on the other side of the world and we we weren't sure what it was you know, compared to a year on and, um, you know, we, we, we've all come a long way in terms of our understanding, but how did you find the communication? Uh, you know, how would, how would you, how would you rate it or, or, you know, are there things we could have done better earlier or later? And, and how did you see that during the, dur during the uh, response? Yeah, I think, um, uh, there was significant amount of communication happening at, uh, you know, at different levels. However, uh, some of the, the level of communication, for example, the directives that came from the government, 
came down to the frontline healthcare providers. However, they were not very clear. They were left to interpretation. And I think some of um, my role there with my team was to interpret what the government has said in those um, directives and make it real for what it means when they are actually implementing that change. There was daily changes in the communication of how people operate and things. Uh, a lot of legal factors, regulatory factors that um, uh, influenced that as well. And uh, you know, we had to consider all of that in the communication. Uh, yes, we wanted to uh, you know, have everyone away from uh, bringing in infections and things like that. But again, who uh, is um, you know, doing the work in the front line besides uh, the people who have COVID need to have the correct information at the correct time and the correct resources as well. And that's where I think the communication, uh, we were trying to do the best to interpret what the ministry was uh, wanting the frontline workers to do. Uh, but that was definitely a challenge because of how it was being misinterpreted. And going back to the way, like I said, the use of Ontario health teams at the local level and regional level helped though that communication. There were community of practices that um, uh, you know, still go on, right? Uh, from the um, day one that uh, people could come there, bring their questions and um, take away the correct answers as well. Right. Um, okay. Um, so, in terms of the, in terms of the, the, um, you know, if we if we kind of go back to risk management a, a, a little bit, um, you know, it, we're 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 practicing a, a number of mitigations and so on. Um, you know, I assume that, and you know, and this is probably something that is done, you know, more at the governmental level and so on. There's probably a number of contingency plans that are that are underway, like you know, in terms of uh, you know, they, they, they could be terrible things to think about. What if, what if we run out of capacity in the ICUs? What if we, you know, what if we have a, we, we breach a certain number of, of, of cases per day and so on. Um, you know, I'm assuming all those things are happening. I'm not sure if you've been you know, involved or privy to any of those, but, but is that something that, that you can speak to at all? Yes, yeah, so um, definitely. So I think initially what was happening was, um, you know, the target uh, or the focus uh, was long-term care, but it didn't become the focus right at the start. Just because of what we had seen in SARS, the expectations were that people were going to be acutely ill and be rushed to hospital. And so if you recall, we were looking for uh, those additional um, you know, ICU equipment, the resuscitators and the um, uh, ICU beds, but not much of that happened, right? And I think because we closed down on uh, surgeries and things, we were able to manage healthcare um, because of that in the acute care hospitals. However, we saw all the um, most of the personal protective equipment were directed at that time to the hospital. 
And then the sh it shifted because we saw that there were a lot of deaths happening in long-term care. And the deaths were not uh, necessarily because of the COVID disease only, but things that came along with that because staff were ill as well. People, healthcare workers were ill. And were, uh, so there was a shortage. There was um, a, a shortage of healthcare workers who were even previously there was a shortage. So again, it amplified it even more. Right. Uh, the use of the PPE, the personal protective equipment, uh, the shortage of that, you know, staff are not feeling safe to come to work to uh, take care of these residents. So sometimes there were residents or seniors who passed away, uh, not only because of the COVID, but because of the, you know, there was uh, less people to feed them, to clean them, to, you know, hydrate them, all those kind of things that right. uh, the impact of COVID happened. So uh, what happened was then the, um, you know, again, you had to cohort in a four bedroom, of uh, four residents in a room, you had to change it to two bed, uh, two residents in a room. So where do you put the rest of the residents, right? right so right. those all things needed to be uh, streamlined. And uh, as a team with public health, with the long-term care and the hospital helping out, then those things came to being. In some areas in Ontario, we also had, had field hospitals uh, that, uh, that were there families were not allowed to come in, but then you still had to keep that uh, continuity with them. Now it's shifted to the hospital beds because in third wave, we see a lot more younger, more acutely ill people uh, who are taking, uh, you know, go, uh, being taken to the ICUs and have to be taken care of there. Uh, many of them are recovering. So the death rate is not as high as it was in the first wave. Uh, however, uh, the impact of the disease continues. And so early discharge from the hospitals and now in turn, long-term care has been asked to clear up and make space to take these people from the hospital into long-term care. And it may not be a long-term care level of care, but it's quite acutely uh, ill people are coming in there. Um, you know, down to more of a personal level, I suppose, you know, one of the key mitigation strategies over the last year, I think, has been social distancing, masks, um, you know, we don't shake hands anymore, we don't hug as much anymore, if at all, almost. Um, and how do you see, do you see those mitigations um, continuing on in the future? Or, or do you think in two or three years or some period of time we'll kind of kind of recede back? Like, will or, or are we going to always, you know, whenever somebody gets a cold, are we going to see a mask on them? You know, like how much of this is going to live on past yeah. this, you know, um, this outbreak? Yeah, I think, um, you know, again, going back to SARS, after SARS, we saw a lot of more people using masks. Even with allergies, I see, you know, it's, it's a different, it's depending on, I think, the culturally how you brought up as well, um, you know, or how much you have been exposed to uh, such kind of infections and how, what you do. 
So it's kind of a, so, a socially learned behavior as well. So um, moving forward with um, COVID, I think, you know, we still want to get back to getting together and things, but I think there will be a little bit more reserved um, association with people, uh, you know, within, uh, especially outside your immediate families, right? I, right. I somehow see that um, may continue. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the impact of it does continue long, longer term as well, right? Um, to the advantage of that, the personal relationships, I think from, you know, using technology a lot more, right? So we were able to communicate with people, um, you know, uh, through technology, uh, even though we were not able to go and visit them. So how much of that is going to continue? Um, and uh, that would be interesting to see as well. Yeah, that's, um, you know, I mean, yeah, it'd be, it would have been, it would have been very different if this would have occurred 20 years ago, you know, or, <laughs> or, or more, be, we just wouldn't have been able to be on Zoom and on, you know, video calls and so on. Um, I know the first time that I, you know, I hadn't worn a mask prior to, to this, to this pandemic. Uh, it was something that was new. And I, and I still remember the first couple of times in a grocery store when only about a third of the people did. And I kind of put it on and felt a little funny, like, should I, shouldn't I, like what, you know, is, is, do I kind of feel odd? And now it's just routine. You, 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 you know, you get out of your car, you walking towards the grocery store, you put the mask on, like, it's just, it's part of who we are now. So I it just, I'm just sort of curious as to how that's going to, going to recede. Of course, it's, it's, a lot of controversy, you know, the, the anti-maskers and protests and so on. It's a, it's a, it's a topic of high passion, you know, to some, um, but, you know, to me, it just makes sense that as a, as a way to mitigate, you know, you, you know, you can get into arguments of, of, you know, how much does it reduce it and, you know, whether it can get through or not. But I think that seems to be commonly agreed that it will at least reduce the potential for for mm. transmission, even if it's not 100%, if it reduces, it's good mitigation, Like That's the that's the basis of risk management, like one of the key, you know, constructs is, is reduction of, of risk is good mitigation. So, you know, if even if mass reduce it by, you know, 30%, it's still good. That's, that's yeah. 30 yeah. out of 100 less transmissions. Yeah, I think it's a combination of all the measures, right? So now we have vaccinations as well, one dose, then the second dose as such. So even though people are vaccinated uh, with both doses, there's still not, uh, you know, there's still no evidence that you won't, uh, uh, you know, catch the disease as such, right? So uh, it's still, you know, you still are using, you've been vaccinated uh, with the, both the doses, you're still using masks, you're continuing with your hand washing, you're continuing with your hand sanitizers when you don't have access to soap and water, you know, uh, keeping that social distancing, uh, that continues. So there's no evidence quite yet. So I think there is um, a, a um, steady move to, um, you know, what should be done. And I think, uh, yes, we will have 
uh, like in every area, the people who will, uh, you know, um, be anti-mask, uh, be anti-vaccine, right? So uh, there is right. a vac a vaccine hesitancy as well, because people are waiting to see, uh, unsure of things themselves, yeah. Yeah. Um... So it seems to me that's, you know, um, you know, and you were saying in terms of the, the evidence of the, the vaccines, you know, hopefully that's, you know, ho hopefully it does. Cause that's, I mean, that's one of the things that, you know, to get people to take it and, and there's some that don't want to, um, but if there's a feeling that it may not protect you, that could, you know, there, there's sort of a, there's a bit of that I can see where there's a bit of a communication issue that's there too because if if there's a feeling that it won't necessarily protect you then some may interpret that as well why would I want to take it then you know what what why don't why don't I just not and just get you know if I'm going to get it anyways why don't I just not take this vaccine so it it seems to me I think that's one of the real challenges of this is is it is you know partially just the facts and the research and the, the effectiveness. And part of it is a communication and behavior issue by people. You know, this is, you yeah. know, there's that expression, we're all in this together. We really are all in this together that, you know, it's our combined actions will affect the outcome. Yeah, I think, but let me go back to, uh, you know, when I'm um, talking about vaccine hesitancy and um, that you could possibly again get the disease. Uh, but again, the impact of that, I think that's where the risk mitigation is. The impact, if you take your vaccine and uh, vaccinations and you still follow all these uh, you know, re uh, re uh, restrictions, right? You would still have a possibility to catch the disease. However, the impact of that would be much less. So right. with that, we wouldn't see death occurring. Like we do have many seniors uh, having, uh, you know, the disease, but because they've been vaccinated or, uh, you know, have been taking the precautions, uh, the impact of that is not necessarily death, which right. in right. previously, uh, you know, you, you um, were significant amount of death, right? Right. right. So I think that's our consolation at this stage. Right. And that's a good message to, to, to get out that if that's, you know, again, it's, it's, you know, I, the way I view when I, when, I'm, when we're talking about project management and COVID, it seems like it's equal parts risk and equal parts communication. And the two, the two are, are commingling with each other that, that yes, if, if people understand that, um, vaccination, while it may not completely eliminate you know, it's not necessarily 100% effective that, you know, the probability is if you get it, it will be instead of being life-threatening will likely be, um, you know, you, you'll, you'll feel sick, you know, you'll, you yeah. may be a, a bad, like a pretty, pretty good flu, you know, bad flu, I yes. suppose. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where it like is. Threatening, yeah. You know? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Again, that's a good, that's, that's a good, uh, you know, it's, it, we, I think we've all, we, I think we've all become um, much more, uh, the, the general population, I think has been much more exposed to probability in, in the past year. 
we've also become aware of, of pharmaceutical companies. You know, I, I think we've, we've all known the different companies that are, that are there and so on. So there's been quite an education. So yeah. anyways, this, is, this has been a, a great conversation. Uh, Sheila, I've, I've quite enjoyed talking to you and, and, and seeing your point of view on the, on the, on COVID as well as risk management. So, so thanks very much for the, for the discussion on this. It's been really, uh, very educational. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. And I'm um, happy we could uh, make some time to talk through this. Okay. All right. Thanks again. Thanks. Have a nice day.